0: This week's parsha is Parsha's Chayisaro. At the beginning of the parsha, we find a negotiation that takes place between Abraham Avinu and Ephraim Achiti, discussing the purchase of this all-important piece of real estate called Maras the place that Adam Arisha, and Chava were buried, and the place that was destined to be a makram of pura for our abeys and our imais. In the course of the harsha of the negotiation about finding a, a price, determining a price for the purchase of this land to bury Avram Avinu's most imminent um, the death of his sarah, the, the psukim speak constantly with the same sort of refrain of kvaras mesacha, it says over and over and over again if you look through the narrative you'll find over and over again six times various permutations of this nusaf of kvaras mesacha. in one passage it says va ekvaras i will bury my dad before, before me K'var es-mesacha. Ephraim responds, Bury your dead. Mikvar mesacha. Likvar es mesi. K'var mesacha. The ekvara es meisi. over and over again, six times a loshen of K'var es-mesacha. Bury your dead. There's a seventh time that the, that the Lashen, the signan, is switched around. And it says, V'es-mescha k'var you're dead, you should bury. Now, if we would just read this parsha casually, we probably would not take notice of these nuances, but the brilliant mind and the piercing eyes of the Vilna Gain, as always, notices these things, and he says the remarkable pshat in explaining why this is so. Why is it that six times we have a lashing of Kvaris Mesecha, and the seventh time, suddenly there's a dramatic switch, and it says Es mescha Kevar. Oh and what the Vilna Gain suggests is based on a Gemara that we're familiar with: that Sadikim Vimisasam Kruyim Chayim. When a Sadik dies, even after he is physically no longer in this world, he's still called living. And the Gemara asks, how could that be? The Gemara in Shabbos of Kufnan Be'ez asks, how could that be? It says, ki ofar atav afar that you are dirt, you are created from afar and you will return to the dirt, meaning that your body will decompose and there will not be left much of a person. So how can you say that an Adam really is, that tzaddik could remain living forever, that is, his Misa is not really a Misa. And the Gemara says, that it's Sadiq's body really stays intact forever. And one moment before HaMesim, when Akharishbachul is Mekhaya the at that point it returns to the dirt so that Akharshbaku could miraculously resuscitate and revive the body and bring it back to life. But up until that point, a human Tzaddik's body is really eternal. And you are called Chaim long after you die. And the Gemara also says that a Rasha, mafilo ma'filu Bechayem, Kruya, Mason, A Russia even though he's alive... Even when he's actually living and animated, he's already called a dead person even before he's buried, before he dies. While he still has a pulse, he's either considered like to consider dead. That's what Chazal tells us. So the Vomagayim wants to say as follows. This Mara was the burial ground for the six Abis and Besides, Rochel Yemenu was buried, of course, in Kevarachal, outside of the Maros Machpelah. But in the Maros Machpelah, what Abraham Avino was negotiating for was the ability to bury six of six of the Tzadikim of Pali Yisrael: Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov; Sarah, Rivka, and Leah. These are six tzaddikim of that Avram Avino was negotiating with Ephraim to find a place to bury them. And so when it comes to these tzaddikim, it says six times, in reference to these tzaddikim, it says, Kivar meaning there will be a kvura, and the bodies will really stay intact, they will be considered chayim even after they're dead. Ultimately, they will be considered mesim. When? Before it's mesim, then and only then will they be considered to be mesim. But up until that point, they're Chayim straight through. So it's Kibar Es me'sachi. you're not burying a dead person, you should bury, and then eventually that person will be considered legally Mase. But only by T'chis HaMesim. What's the seventh time? The seventh time where the Pasuk switches it around and says, V'es Masech you your already dead being will be buried, that's a reference, says the Vilna Ga'in, to the famous Chazal that teaches us the Gemara and Saitah that says the, the way that the head of Asov was buried in the Maharas We know the famous story that when Yaakov Avinu was Niftar and he was taken from, from Mitzrayim to the Maharas of to to be buried with the state funeral and all of the malachim came and they were escorted by great people including the Shiftei Ka and they were setting their hopes on going and undisturbedly burying Yaakov Avinu suddenly a rude intruder bursts into the ceremony into the funeral Esav Arashah and Esav says what do you think you're doing over here they said we're burying Yaakov Avinu what do you mean you're burying Yaakov Avinu this is my plot I'm also entitled to a Yerusha in, in Maros Machpelah. Who says that Yaakov should be buried there? I want to be buried there. <coughs> and so they said, well, you sold the Bukhaira to Yaakov Avinu. says, I might have sold the Bukhaira, but I didn't sell the actual, I'm still a Yerush. I'm still entitled to something here. So they said, well, we have a document that Yaakov Avinu has from you, signed that you're giving him over also the rights of the plot in Maras Machpelah. So he says, "Really, you have that? Let's see it. Let's bring it out. Bring out the shdar, and I'll be happy then to oblige." They said, "Well, it's in Mitzrayim. Okay, so go go, go down to Mitzrayim and get it. But I'm not allowing you to bury Akivir until you prove to me that it's not mine." So there was a whole discussion what to do, finally decided, okay, we'll send Naphtali down to Mitzrayim, Naphtali Ayala Shlucha. he was swift as a gazelle, very quick, Naphtali, he'd be able to go in due time and get the shtar and retrieve it back to this case between Esau and the brothers. There was a grandson of Yaakov Avinu by the name of Chushim ben Don, the son of Don, his name was Chushim, and he was hard of hearing, he was deaf. And he didn't know from Chachmas, he didn't know what was going on. All he saw was Esau was standing in the way of Yaakov Avinu's burial, and he says, what a chutzpah, my grandfather should be here lying in Bizayin. Let him be buried. And he didn't understand what was going on. He was, and Reb Chaim says a whole shmooz about this. What exactly was going on? Why was Chushim ben Dan so able to jump in and act and what happened was he took a club or he took a knife and he banged Esau's head it, was, it became detached from his body and it rolled onto the lap of Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu smiled, the Gemara says and then they were both buried Yaakov and the head of Esau was buried in Marasa Machtewa. that is what Chazal tell us and that's the seventh pasrf in this week's karsha, kivar that's an allusion to the Rasha Esau, who was a mace before he was buried. He was first a mace, and then he was Shayach but his whole life he was already there, considered to be a mace. And so that is an allusion to Esau, the seventh time, the seventh person buried there, not in his... Not, not in totality, but his head buried in Maris Machpelah was what the Pasuk was alluding to when it says, the beautiful pshat of the Vilma Gain. What I'd like to speak about today a little bit is this, the import of this Maisa that the head of Esau fell into the Maris Machpelah. And the significance of that, what exactly does that mean? Nothing is by coincidence. It happens to be a great story. But as we know, there's no such thing as just a a, a chazal without an aymeh. Chazal, there's always a great depth and a great significance and great import to every single facet that you find in every single chazal. What does this mean that the head of Esau, what did the head of Esau do that it deserved to have furah in this makam kaddish? Of and what Rav Aaron Cutler says is the pshat is that Esau himself, believe it or not, we might picture Esau to look like a, a person with maybe long hair and bulging muscles and dressed inappropriately and acting in a very lewd type of way. That may be the common perception of Esau. Maybe that was helped by the by, by books that we've read as children. But the emisses, says with Aaron Kaller, that that wasn't so. And if you look in the Hasidish Svarim also, they write the same exact thing. They said if you would see Esau, Esau would look like mamish at Sadek. Asa would have a big a shrimo, and he'd have a big beard, and he'd have a kapata. He looked very, very chashuv. And indeed, he was chashuv. Indeed, he was a common Chacham, he was a person that learned. He was the Edea Sefer. And he was the son of Yitzhak Avino, He was the grandson of Abraham Avino, He can't possibly be Stan, you know, a, 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 a reckless, random, maverick, Rambo type. That's not up to say about Esau Arashov. Esau Arashov was a person of great stature, of great nobility. And he looked Koshav... And he was a he was a tamar chacham. Rav Aaron Kotler says the problem with Asab was that all the Torah that he learned, and we find in Chazal, he would ask he would ask Yitzchak certain questions in Allah about being Meister salt and etc. And Chazal don't exactly look nicely on that. They looked at him as being somewhat of a charlatan and trying to fool Yitzchak into believing that he was something that he wasn't. But in fact. We don't have to go that far. We could say that he actually was a Talmud Chachem. The problem with Esau was that Esau's Torah, Esau's Chachma, Esau's brilliance stayed only in the realm of his head. It stayed in the cerebrum. It stayed in the mind. It never ever spread and bled to the arteries, to the limbs, to the Evarim to the lay, to the Nishama, the Torah was something that was a purely intellectual pursuit by Esau. It wasn't something that changed him. It wasn't something that molded him. It wasn't something that made him a better person, which is really what the Torah is designed to do. It was something that just stayed in the realm of Limud and never went li And Rav says that's why Esau was a Russia, And that's why while Esau's head deserved burial in the Marissa Machpelah because his head was takatayredit his head was full of kedusha and Tara in the theoretical realm it was full of shas and peskim. the problem was that it stopped by the neck and it didn't go south it didn't spread to his body it didn't it didn't carry over into the way he behaved he was over a terrible adiris he acted in a way that was unbecoming of the common facham, and that was the taina against Esau. That the head of Esau had taira in it, whereas the body was completely divorced from any shemets of Kedusha, any shemets of Halakha, any shemets of taira. So while his head remained and was granted permission to be buried, in Mara Samach Pela, his body was not admitted there because there was a complete disconnect between his mind and his body. I believe this is also perhaps shot in the Gemara we know that there is a halacha we darshan from calls the man we are never allowed to wear just the shalreish by tefillin. We put on the shalyad first, and then we put on the shalreish. When we take off the and first, and then we take off the shalyad, we can't take off the shalyad and keep the shalreish on. Because we darshnet that it's b'nei v'ayulotay t'afa is b'nei necha. That whenever it's ben or whenever you have the Shal-Reish on, you also have to have the other Teichapa on, you also have to have the Shal-Yad on. And I think perhaps the most of that is that we know that the villain Shal-Yad represents the hand, activity, the actions that a person does. The shal represents the mind, the person's ability to think and to learn and to, and to process information. And so, when a person wears a tefillin shal reish, when a person is taira in his mind, when a person studies taira, learns taira, it also has to have a shalyad. It always must be coupled with the actions of taira. It can never be, well, I'll just keep it in my mind. I'll be a brilliant Tamil chacham, but I won't act like a Tamil chacham. I'll act like somebody that's from the street. I'll be able to write tremendous Kiddusha Taira, I'll be able to be a big Masmid, but when I actually, when it comes to carrying out mitzvahs, or not carrying out mitzvahs, for avoiding Averis or for jumping into Averis, the mind completely shuts down and I act like my brute body wants me to act. My goof has taivus and my goof wants to reign supreme and therefore it divorces itself from the mind. As long as you have the Tzvill and Shalroish, you must have the Tzvill and Shal yad. There's no such thing as having just the Shalroish without a Shal yad. of having just the intellect without the actions. That's something that's completely not Tzairidic. That's something that's the opposite of what the Tzair wants from us. The Torah demands that whatever we learn, we have to implement into actions. If we're just learning because we have the Gishmakin learning, but then we want to go back to the outside of the outside world and act completely contrary to the Shulchan Aruch and to our shkafas hachaim that the Torah mandates, that's something that the shal, you, that means you have the shalroish without the shalyad. That means that you have the head of an Esav without the body of a, of a Yaakov. And that's something which is very, very frowned upon. It's something which is actually very, very prohibited. I remember when I was young, a Rebbe of mine described to me that he was in England shortly after the war and he saw he was walking in a certain park. I believe he said it was in Liverpool, England. And he saw there in the park, you know, sometimes you see old men or some people in the park, they sit, sit around on, by chess tables, and they play chess, or they sit around on the benches and they schmooze with each other, or they read newspapers, or they feed the pigeons. He saw two old Jews without yarmulkes on, and he, they were learning together. And he went closer, and he saw that they were learning Gemara, it was on Shabbos, and while they were learning, they were smoking cigars on Shabbos. And he says that this is an amazing Moshe for him. That it's possible for a person to be having a love of learning and have a geschmack in learning. And this is their, what they enjoy doing in their free time. This is what this is their newspaper. This is their game of chess. Because intellectually, it's stimulating. They enjoy the the Havamina and the Maskanas, the shakl Vitaria, the Shvera the Nekudas HaMachlakes, that's something that's for them exciting. Aye, but maybe they were learning Mesecha Shabbos they knew very, very well about the Isser of Havara Shabbos. They couldn't wear less. It remained in their heads. It was something that didn't actually spread to their extremities. Their bodies were their bodies. Their bodies wanted a cigar on Shabbos. They had a cigar on Shabbos. They wanted to be Mechal Shabbos. They didn't want to be encumbered by the chukim and the mishpatim of the Torah. Fine. Torah, I'm learning Torah. Is that good or bad? Are they a learning? No. If a person is learning and the person is completely ignoring what they're learning, that's a zeof in Torah. It's something which is completely counterfeit, it's disgusting, it's meos. it's what Asav did, it's the activities of an Asav to be able to learn and think that in some way they're doing Ratsan Hashem by learning, but in terms of their actual day-to-day activities, there's no need for them to actually actualize what they're learning. Because I'll tell us, if a person learns, I'm learning because I like learning. I'm those guys in Liverpool. I'm learning because I just like learning. But if I'm not learning in order to know how to build the sukkah. I'm learning because I enjoy the limit of Maseches sukkah. Do I want to keep a sukkah? Do I want to put it up? No. I have no intention of ever putting up a sukkah, but I enjoy learning mesech a I enjoy learning certain halachas, but I have no intent of actually keeping them. So Chazal tell us, it's it would have been better that he never have been created. It would be better that he was unborn such a person than be he has no place in this world. I once heard a shot. When I was learning together with Rabbi Aaron Schechter, he said a beautiful pshat. What's the pshat mechle What's the Mida Mida over here? So he says a beautiful of And listen carefully. He says, the Rabbi we know was istakel by Raiso Bar We spoke about this last week with the Beis HaLevi. Hatri was istakel by Raiso Bar Amu. When Hatri created the world, he looked at the Torah, he learned the Torah, he used the Torah as a blueprint to building a world, and then he built the world that we live in and we enjoy today. This was all the consequence of the Rabbi Ishlam looking in the Torah and then building this world. What do we see from this Chazal? We see that Akrish was a Leymey When Akrish learned his Torah, he didn't just stop learn it and keep it in, this, in, the, in the realm of. The, the theoretical, he actually implemented what he learned. We see that the Rabbin them learned the Torah and he built the world on the basis of that learning. He took action on the basis of the Torah. He didn't just learn, but he learned and he produced from that learning. If a person says, I'm not going to follow suit, I'm going to live in this world, but I'm going to learn, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to actually Act on what I learned. I'm just gonna learn. It's Naya Flesh he has no place in this world, it would be better had he not been born. Because this world was actually designed and built on the basis of limer Amanas Lasis. Were it not for limer amenas Lasis, there would be no world. And so if that was the paradigm, if that was the the template in the building of the world, a Liman Amanas Lasis. That means that every single person that's a nivra, and that deserves to be a nivra, is somebody that when he learns, it's hamnaslasis. If the Lima de shalem Lasis is neyaklo shle it's as if for him the world was not created because there would be no world. Would it be for his attitude, the rabbi shalem? If he would follow that train of thought of just learning without producing, there would be no brio. This is very, very important for us in Etaira to understand and to realize how important this is because whereas we might not Khalilah be in the gather of an Esav but there are a lot of levels of gray in between there's a lot of different spectrums all the way from being an Esav to being us or to being a Yaakov, let's say there's a lot of different gradations there and perhaps we are not Exactly, Yakov's either. Perhaps our limud is also a little bit shleim and asfasis. because a lot of times where we learn and we come to yeshiva and we daven, we, we're very, very good in the theoretical sense. But oftentimes, when it comes halacha when it comes, we have a tayva to do something, to go somewhere, to look at something, to listen to something, to think about something, and now we're faced with a dilemma. What do we do? because Rav Yasef Kara writes that we are not allowed to do this and yet our bodies are telling us to do it what do we do? we're at this crossroads, perhaps every single day we have to make these types of decisions and oftentimes we'll adhere hopefully to the Shulchan Arif more often than not but there are times, I'm sure that sometimes we ignore what the Torah wants us to do, and we know deep down in our heart what the Torah wants us to do. And we opt to follow our taivas, to follow our eyes, to follow our hearts. And at that moment in time, we could also be said to be somebody that has its fill and shall without its fill and shall yad. We could be somebody that perhaps our heads deserve to be buried in a maqam kaddish, but our bodies need not apply. And that would be a tragedy. Because what a Bantyre has to be is a Bantyre through and through. Somebody that not only learns, but actually lives by what he learns. Is not hypocritical. Does not do one thing, learn one thing, and do the opposite. It's not as those ancient Greek philosophers who used to espouse all types of ethics and morality, and then once they were caught doing an actual immoral act, by their students, by their disciples and they look at them and they say up until now you've seen your teacher and now you've seen me as the man that's a disconnect that only a shayach by an ace of in his ilk by people that are B'nai Torah, by people that live and want to live by the Torah's ethics and moralities everything must follow what the Torah wants there is no disconnect there is no room to have a dichotomy in our lives between what we know to be true and what we physically want to do what we physically want to do must follow in lockstep with the Das taira, with what our minds, our Torah Dika minds and our Torah Dika Hashrafis really dictate that must be carried out physically with our lives this is the parsha of Shidokhem and Sarah and I'd just like to say a story about Shidduchim, which is very nagayat what we're talking about today, and that is that some prospective father-in-law came to the stipler to ask about a possible Shidduch for his daughter. And he asked the stipler a battery of questions about his Asmada and about his Seichel, about his pikchos. Is he a Talmud Chochem? Is he a Lamdin? Is he a Masmid? Yes, 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 yes. Thank you very much. He starts heading for the door to, to, to tell the Shatzin that we'd like to try out this Shidduch for our daughter. And the stipler calls him back. And the stipler says to him, Is that all you have to ask me? He says, I think so. Am I leaving out anything? He says, yeah, you're leaving out the most important question. What's the question? Is the boy about al does the boy have any midas? How does he act? So the person almost collared, said, what do you mean? The told me that this boy was unbelievable. He's a Lamdin, he's a kamar chakam. How could it be otherwise? Hayitachin, is a shayach for a person to be such a, an unbelievable brain and not have good midas and not act accordingly. And the staifler says, listen, says, what did this boy know from all these years? He's been living in a base medrash, sequestered with a svarim and a shtender. says, the shtender never talked back to him once. Not once did a shtender ever talk back to this boy. The shtender never asked him to take out the garbage. The shtender never asked him to, if, they, if he could schmooze a little bit with them because they're depressed, because they're sad. Never did that happen the shtender was a perfect up for this boy if you're asking me is he right to marry the shtender I would say without a doubt unanimously absolutely yes but you're not asking me that you're asking me is this a boy that would be good for your daughter now he might be very proficient in learning but I don't know in terms of his midas if there's a carry through or not that's what you have to ask you have to inquire whether or not, besides for him being a Masmid, besides for him being a, a Khashbar Lamdin, <laughs> is he a bentaira? How does he act? When Reb Chaim Ezer, Reb Chaim was a young brilliant prodigy and in his youth he met the famous Reb Yisrael the great father, the founder of the Muslim movement, and Reb Yisrael was very impressed by the brilliance of this young man Several years later, Rabbi Sol gets a letter in the mail from his son-in-law saying, Mazel tov, we your granddaughter, my daughter, just got engaged to a marvelous young Talmud Chacham by the name of Chaim Ezer Gudzinski, who was of course going to be the Gadol Adar, the, the Paisik Adar, the, the head of Tal Yisrael, the Rajkob Nehagailah, the rab of best of Vilna, and then the son-in-law writes in his letter the entire pilpal the entire drosha that this Chassan, Chaim Ezer said by his luchayim by the Vart and he, a brilliant shtikl and he sends this off to Yibbisar Salamta expecting Yibbisar Salamta to be thrilled and he gets a letter back from Yibbisar Salamta from his father-in-law and he says as follows he says, it says in the Prasuk and the Teira Esbiti Nasati Li Haze. My daughter I gave over to this Ish, to this man. Or as the Bisal Salantit, Esbiti Nasati Li Ish I gave over my daughter to this Mensch. says, You told me a lot about the brilliance of this young man, but you didn't tell me anything about whether he was an Ish or not. Is he a Mensch? he might be brilliant he might be a London par excellence he might be a Pisic he might be a Buckyin kol but that's not necessarily reflective of his Midas and I want to know a little bit about his Midas I want to know if he's an Ish or is he not an Ish that's what interests me says Rabbi Sa'al and so this is a very important thing if this is what Rabbi Sa'al was cheshed for about Chaim Ezer so, and this is what the stipler was cheshed for about this young Masmid and this Ramdin, so probably we should also be concerned maybe a little bit about ourselves and look at ourselves in a mirror and ask ourselves genuinely, Genuinely, is it are we really completely are we completely B'nai Torah, not just intellectually, not in what we're studying day and night but are we actually taking this into our everyday actions? Are we living like a Ben-Tayra? Are we thinking like a Ben-Tayra? Are we acting like a Ben-Tayra? Are the decisions that we make dictated by the Tyra or are they dictated by our hearts and our eyes? And we have to be very, very careful that the answer is the former. <coughs> When they wanted to bury, when they wanted to rebury the Vilna Gaon, the Vilna Gaon was buried in a cemetery in Vilna, and then the government Kedarkum decided they want to build a road, they want to make a highway running right through the cemetery, the Jewish cemetery of Vilna. So it involved exhuming the body, the holy body of the Vilna Gaon, and they didn't know exactly. How to do this, because who in the world would be right to see the Vilna Dain, to touch the Vilna Dain? The Vilna Dain was Kaidish Kadashim, and this was many, many, many decades after his Ptira, maybe a hundred years after his Ptira. And they were scared to death, who knows what's going to be, digging up the grave of the Vilna Dain. And they picked the holiest people possible and they no doubt went to the mikvah before they did it, and they did shuvah, and they went and they buried, they, they exhumed the body of the Vilna Gain. And when they came finally to the body, what they found, the remarkable sight that they saw, that they almost fainted from the what, what, what they saw before their eyes, the Vilna Dain's body, perfectly intact, his entire body, nothing happened to his body in a hundred years. He was perfectly the same exact body. His beard was intact. And his cheeks were rosy like the day before he was nifter. What's the pshat? This is the pshat that kibaris mesecha. When a person acts like the Vilma Gain, who we started off today shmuz with, who told us this beautiful verse, about the difference between Kibarus, Mesachah, and Mesachat Kibar, the difference between the Aves and the Emites versus an Esav. The Vilna Gain likewise was like the Aves and like the Emites. That he was Afilab and Mesosim Kriyim Chayim. You know why? Now we understand a little bit why that is, why a body would not ever decompose if he acts like it's tzaddik his entire life. Because the Kedusha of the Torah, the Rabbani Sholeim's as embodied in the Torah kedushah didn't stay merely in the brain, it didn't stay in the cranium, it spread throughout every single molecule of his being. Every single thing that the Vilna Gaim did was dictated by the Torah and so the Torah was a shmirah for him that he remained living in a certain regard even after he was nifter because the Kedushah and the Torah preserves him because he's a tzaddik that acted without anything, without any disconnect between the Torah and his physical body. A rasha, if he only acts this way in his mind, but his body acts completely different, there's no reason to assume that such a body would ever stand a chance of staying intact. Why should it? Nature dictates that it should decompose. Were it not for the Torah that has dictated every single step of the way as the Chazanish writes once that I'll call tnuah, tnuah, every single action that any part of my body takes is dictated here the Shulchan Aruch. every single thing, my body's every movement, everything is decided on the basis of the Shulchan Aruch, that invests the kedusha on the body that will enable it to stay forever. We also spoke about the stipler and the stipler's advice to the prospective father-in-law and I'd like to tell you another frightening tale about the stipler. The stipler was makvid his whole life never to put his hands beneath his waist. The Gemara says that Rabbeinu HaKadish was called Rabbeinu HaKadish because he never put his hands beneath his waist for obvious reasons. He never wanted to at all khalil be nichshol in any avera. So he would always walk around like this and that's how the stipler going. Also, the Kodesh Yisrael used to always also act this way. Always his hands would never be down, it would always be up. And the Chavar was made. That after the stipler was nifter, as he was laying on the table for the Torah process and the Chavar as they are accustomed to do, they spread his arms down straight and then they turned around to prepare something for the process and they turned around again to look at the stipler and his hands were back up like this. This is what it means to have a body which is a completely intact, completely designated, every single molecule, every ava, every finger, every, every extremity by the Taira if the Taira is really dictating to everything in our lives what we must do, what we must not do such a body retains its, its animation long after the moment of Misa and and B'Misasim kriyim Chayin because that means that you have tapped into eternity if you could be M'Kadishir Goph Afi the Taira that is the ticket into Eilam Habog. Just as a practical advice for us, perhaps how do we gain such a thing? How do we how are we able to attain such Kiddushah? It's very difficult, obviously. But perhaps we should listen to the advice of the Ramban and the Gerus Ramban. The Ramban writes to his son Nachman beautiful, ageless advice, and he said that when a person learns Torah. You sit and learn Taira. You learn Masechah Sukkah in the morning. You learn Masechah Yasharim. You learn Yerideah. Whatever it is that you're learning. When, you, when your nose gets up from the Sefer and you start getting moving away from the table by which you've learned or by the Shtender. The Ramban gives an Esotas. Search out scan through what you've learned chazer over once again through a prism what you've learned and examine bar maybe there's something that I could actually take from this and do it if you've learned something don't wait until it just completely dissipates and then we're not going to remember and we're going to completely do something else but immediately act upon it If you learn halacha, then do that aloha right away. You're learning about Hilchus Titzis, go and buy a new pair of Titzis. Do something with Maisa, take the opportunity to show and to bridge the limud and the Maisa. Because limud without Maisa is really, it's empty, it's hollow. Limud needs to be followed up by a Maisa. And we'll conclude with the Hesped that Rebbe Hanan gave for his Rebbe, the Chavitz and he asks the, the great question, the important question, how in the world did he do it? How did the Chavitz become the Chavitz I also want to be a Chavitz Chaim. How do you do it? What if you could trace it to one moment in his in his childhood perhaps, how would you begin to create a Chavitz Chaim? So Rabbi Khanen says, I think that the way he became a Chavitz Chaim is by a story he told us once, uh, an autobiographical anecdote that he once said in She'er. He said that once, when he was a little boy, he was a regular boy, believe it or not, even the Chavitz Chaim, and he was hanging around with a chevrah of friends and they were walking through the marketplace and being part of this group, one of the leaders of this group went and he kicked the apple cart that an old Armana was tending to, this is her parnasa and apples started rolling all throughout the streets and the boys, maybe not the Chavitz Chaim as actively but the other bad boys in the group they were happy and they started hopping an apple and an apple here and an apple there putting in their pocket eating and the Chavitz Chaim also apparently took an apple he was very young, he didn't learn yet in Cheder that much and a few days later, a few weeks later, he was in Cheder and the Rabbi starts speaking about the Isr of Geneva. The first time the Chavitz Chaim had ever heard about this Isr. The Chavitz Chaim immediately, a young Chavitz Hayim, immediately went to his mother and explained to her what had happened and he cried to her and he said, please give me some money. And then he ran, after he got the money in hand, he ran excitedly to this Almana and the Shukh and he said that I was involved, I was one of the culprits in that terrible Misa that took place a few days ago whereby they kicked your apple cart and the apples rolled off and we each grabbed some apples and I took one also and I'm here to apologize and I'm here to pay for the damage, I'm here to return to you the money that I owe you. And Rukhonin said this is what made the Chavetz Chaim great. The Chavitz Chaim was great because he took knowledge and he immediately found a way to bring in Alak And perhaps that's why he was Zaikha to write the Mishnabura to be, as the Chazanish called him, he was me he was in the Malishkas Hagazis, he's a Sanhajan of the Mishnabura. The Mishnabura is the last word in this gallus of the halacha la-maisa is the burah Because the Mishnaburah, the Chavitz Chaim, understood that it's not alone enough just to merely know halacha. You have to actually implement halacha. The Leman must be a-lide-maisa must bring us to action. This is the lesson, Rabbi say, that is so important. In order to be a Bentira. don't fool ourselves. Let's not allow ourselves the belief that it's okay, we're still B'nai Taira because we are officially matriculated in yeshiva, and because we spend a few hours a day learning Tayra, that makes me a yeshiva buffer. And what I do at night in the dorm, what I do in the streets, the places I go, the things that the choices that I make—that's not a stir-up to me being yeshiva i a yeshiva because I'm, in, I'm enrolled in yeshiva. What I do on the side is my own business. A person has to know that if a person doesn't follow what he's learning, if he doesn't implement what he's learning, and with the Ashkafes as well as the Alokas he acts different when he's in the street than when he is in the base Madrash. He acts different when he's with a certain group of friends as when he's with a different group of friends. These are things that are a very, very big, a very great threat to a ben existence because such a person, while we might seduce ourselves into believing that we are Bnei Torah, we are really counterfeit. We are really hypocrites. The lesson of life is, the most important thing that we could possibly do is After all, we have to learn, we have to learn a lot. And there's a lot to learn there's a lot to be learned but never think that it ends there. The Torah that we learn must never stay merely in the base Medrash in the cup that this it. has to spread to our activities in the bedroom in the boardroom in the in the office in the in every in the house the living room everywhere nothing is permissible the Torah must seep through to every single crevice of our life if we act one way somewhere and another way a different place that is something that the Torah considers a Torah that's considered to be Twilan shall rush without the and shall Yad, That's considered to be somebody that's acting like an Aesav instead of acting like Avraham, Mitzakin Yakiv, like a Sarah, like a Rifka, like a Rokha, like a Leia, people whose lives did not merely stay living in this world, but stayed living forever and ever, because they made sure to Makadesh every Avar with the Taira Kadesha. And in Midz Hashem we should also act in kind, have a good child.